I'm just like, I was walking around the building, even with the renovations. I walked in this morning, I was like, whoa, new carpet. You smell that? <laughs> How many weeks into the new carpet are we in? Yeah, I'm like, yeah, new carpet. You, you can smell it. And, uh, but so many uh, moments, uh, life-changing moments happen for me in this building and in this community. And uh, I remember, I was just thinking about it this morning, I, I really do feel sent from this church. I really do feel like, uh, yeah, what God is doing in and through uh, the ministry that I get to be a part of, this is like, uh, w- w- is the garden that I got to grow up in, and it's like, it really impacted my life. Thank you for having me. Um, I, I want to share with you, I'm thankful it's December 3rd, because one of my favorite Bible stories is in the Christmas story, so I'm like, oh, yes, I'm like, I'm in Christmas time, I can talk about the Christmas story, and my hope is that in the next few minutes, uh, you are encouraged, uh, challenged, reminded about who God is, and uh, I won't waste any time, really. I'll just jump right in. And then I think we'll end together with a song and praying together. And so, yeah, let's do it. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, I'm going to go to Luke 2. Lincoln was referencing it. What page is it on? 900-something. Uh, Luke 2. Luke 2. I, went, I was looking back at some of my old sermons, Derwin, and uh, that you let me preach to everyone here. And I was like, Wow. Those aren't that good. (laughs) I'm not sure I would say that same thing again today. (laughs) Luke 2 is one of my favorites, and this is where we're going to go, okay? This is uh, in the Christmas story, the part we're going to talk about when the baby was born and the shepherds. The shepherds hear the announcement and go to see the baby in the manger. That's where we're going, and what we're going to see is God is at work behind the scenes. God is at work in the middle of the mess. And, and then I want to look at what does that tell us about God, the, that he's always at work behind the scenes, that he's in the middle of the mess, and uh, what does that tell us about who he is? And so uh, let me read to you uh, Luke chapter 2. It says, uh, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Brackets. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Verse 3, and everyone went to their own town to register. I love Luke uh, in the book of Acts and in Luke's gospel. He always kind of grounds it in reality. He says, tells you where it was. He tells you who was in charge. And like, this is a reference point then for the people of that day, but then also for us. We can check back and say, wait, is this this a real thing? Yeah, yeah. What you'll find is Caesar Augustus was Caesar, and he did order a census when Quirinius was governor uh, in Syria. And so I love that it's grounded in that. Uh, And so keep going. Verse 4. So everyone went to their own town to register. Verse 4. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, firstborn a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Pause game. Okay, this is, this is just like a lot just happened there in, in a, just a, one verse, especially that part where it says, uh, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. I've never been pregnant myself, but 
I've known people who are pregnant, and my hunch is that when you're pregnant, and it's almost time for the baby to be born, you're in Nazareth. I googled it. It's a three-day journey at the, in those days, a three-day journey down to Bethlehem. When you're super prego, you're not pumped when the governor says, hey, time to go on a three-day journey. Uh, oh, it's okay if you're pregnant. Just go. You have to register for this census. You, w- I don't know about you, but I wouldn't be pumped. Again, I've never been pregnant, but you, you, maybe you have, and you could tell me. I'm guessing we wouldn't be excited about that idea. Hey, go on this three-day journey. I and you're, but I'm super pregnant. Just you gotta go. And then it says, and when the t- and they, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And this is awesome. And they put the baby. She gives birth to a baby. The son wraps him in cloths and places him in a manger because there's no guest room available. In a manger, in a trough, in a feeding trough for animals. She places the baby in a feeding trough for animals. Again, I've never given birth to a baby, but I'm thinking Mary's probably not super pumped on the situation. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the kind of vacations I like to take. I'm like, let's go, baby. Yeah, we're going to go away. It's going to be awesome. And then she goes, I don't know. Did you plan anything? I'm like, don't worry. We'll figure it out when we get there. I can imagine Mary going, you told, me we, you told me you'd figure it out when we got there. And here she is, she's about to give birth to the baby, and she gives birth, and she's in a manger, and she's just looking at Joseph, she's trying not to be bitter. You know, we see Mary, as she's very, she's very kind, you don't read the bitterness in the pages, so we can't say that she was bitter, but you see this, you can imagine, Joseph, this is the last time. From now on, I'm planning all the holidays, you know, I'm planning all of our census trips. But what you see is that God is at work. You see, God is at work. See, the prophecies for the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, the you know, Emmanuel, God with us, the prophecies said he needs to be born in Bethlehem. This is wild. When you step back and you go, wait, so God actually put it in the heart and the mind of Caesar Augustus, the head of the Roman Empire, and you don't know, it doesn't tell us how much, was it a dream, was it what, was it, did he just wake up with the idea? We don't know, but you get the sense that God was behind it. Caesar Augustus says, so the government says, we've got to do this. And that gets Mary and Joseph to the right spot so that Jesus could be born in Bethlehem. I can't imagine, though, it felt right. It probably felt like a detour. It probably felt like an obstacle, like struggle for them at the time. I love, when, I love reading the scriptures and kind of asking questions, tons of questions about it, right? When I go, what would that have been like? What was going on? So wait, why is it, why are we learning about this? And then once you start asking questions, I, one of my things, the first things I notice is uh, humor. I think that's so funny, right? Like we're going to the shepherds next, and, I, and I'll show you some of the things that I think are so funny about the story. I'm just, my imagination just goes, but what about this? In this situation, I'm just imagining Mary just being like, Joseph, not again. <laughs> you know, but we don't see that. But what you do see is, She's putting her firstborn baby in a manger because there was no guest room available. Well, that's just, that can't be good. But what we know is that God is at work behind the scenes. And in our lives, I want to tell you this morning, God is at work behind the scenes. And sometimes the detours, the obstacles, the struggles are not just detours, obstacles, and struggles and away from the path. They are the path. They are what God wants to do. They are going to bring some good into your life or into the lives of others. In Mary and Joseph's case, this detour and obstacle and struggle, and this is not the way you want to have your first baby, this leads to a blessing for the whole world. This is awesome. This is remember if there's detours and struggles that God is with you. God is at work behind the scenes, even if you don't see it. And this Christmas season, I want to invite us to say, okay, God, where are you at? 
Where are you working behind the scenes? Because sometimes the obstacles and the struggles are actually, uh, they're part of the plan. Uh, one time Angel prayed for me, and it was at one of the, the more meaningful prayer times I've had in my life. And Angel, you encouraged me with the story of Jesus getting in the boat, telling his disciples to get in the boat. And you were just kind of praying through this story with me. And, and Jesus tells the disciples, get in the boat, go to the other side, and a storm comes up. And it's like, how, did Jesus know about the storm? Whether or not he knew about the storm, Jesus was with them, and the storm seems to be a part of the plan for Jesus to reveal himself, a little bit more of who he is and what he's like. And so that was one of these meaningful prayer moments for me, Angel, when I realized, wait, even in the storms, right? Even in the storms, God is with us. God is here. God is working behind the scenes, and he wants to reveal a little bit more of what he's like. And so then the next verse, this is where we go to shepherds, is uh, it says, verse 4, Oh, wait, no, not verse 4. We're jumping down to verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Okay, it's night. Verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. This is where I just laugh. That's awesome. That's so funny. Why is that funny? Because I wonder if the angels, like, do this on purpose. <laughs> like, I'm, like, trying to think, like, do the angels, like, like do, are they, like, rock, paper, scissors for who gets to scare them? Like... <laughs> Scaring people is super fun. You know, like when someone comes around the corner, like, you know, I love doing that to little kids. You kind of hide around the corner, and they go, ah! You know, like, it's the best. You try to scare your wife. Sometimes if you scare someone, like, who's a bit older and stronger, you might get a punch in the face. It's the best. I can watch YouTube videos of people getting scared for hours. You know, it's just so funny. And then sometimes you go, too far, too far. And it looks like this one went too far. They were terrified. They were terrified. I don't know, is Gabriel and Michael, are they, like, they doing rock, paper, scissors? I love thinking about this. Okay, you ready? Are we going to do this? Come on, let me do this one, man. Gabe, let me do this. Hey, man, this is a big announcement. You know I get all the big announcements, so you can't. Come on, just, oh, this is the best. And they're all just waiting. Let me scare. And then always when angels show up, they say, don't be afraid, right? Did you notice that in Scripture? The first thing they say is don't be afraid. Do you know why when you people see angels, some of them are described as, as these creatures with like six wings. Uh, Archangel Michael has like a sword in armor. He's dressed in battle. It says he just came from a battle. I don't know. Is there sweat? Is there blood? Do angels bleed? I don't know. Right? But this is the, some of the questions we need to ask. We don't have to have answers for them, but we need to ask them for our imagination. And don't be afraid. I don't know. Like a Batman voice? I don't know. It's too good. And this is, and so it says the angels show up. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around, and they were terrified. Like, like they're just looking at each other, like, who, what, what did we do? And it says, and then the, but, the angel, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. <laughs> do not be afraid. I bring you good news. No, I'm just, too, too much. I don't think they talk like that necessarily. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The reference to the Messiah, the coming expected Savior. They're saying he's born today. So all of a sudden, like, they're trying to, imagine trying to process all this information. It's nighttime. It's the glory of the Lord shining around. It's an angel who's saying, don't be afraid, but they're terrified. And they're trying to process the information. And it says, and then it says, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born, the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And then more angels, this is their cue. Cue the other angels. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. That's amazing, right? Angels just showing up saying, glory to God and on earth, peace. Peace from God. 
When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has just happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Verse 21 says, On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Um, that's a cool, that's an important note. It's on the eighth day, so it seems like the shepherds showed up in the first seven days. Right? They're, they're there. They're the first guys who get the announcement. And it says they named Jesus, the, angel, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Jesus, uh, which means Savior. And uh, I, that reminds me again about, think about Mary and Joseph having this dream. They have, Mary has an, an encounter with Gabriel. Don't be afraid. God has chosen you. You're going to have a baby. He's going to be the Savior of the world. Joseph has a dream. Angel Gabriel says, yeah, don't worry. Stay with it. This, is a, this baby is of God. And then they find themselves in a place they probably don't want to be in, putting the baby in a manger. And yet this is the very sign that the angels tell the shepherds to look for. They say, look for the baby in a manger. I get the sense that that's not normal. I get the sense that that's not where you would put the baby normally, right? But it's a sign for the shepherds. There's so many things about the shepherds being, getting the first announcement that I love. When I think about the shepherds getting the first announcement, I think shepherds. That's like, uh, like an average to lower class job, is it not? It, today, it would definitely be a lower class job. You know, you think of a shepherd, someone who's even like, we, I notice sometimes when I go drive like way out of the city, you see sheep. And who's in charge of those sheep? But, uh, but even, you know, it's a shepherd. It's not like, oh man, I want to be like that guy. That's not what we think. Shepherds, I just think, first of all, I just think, oh, it's kind of an obscure, like it's a lower position. But they get the announcement. They get the first announcement. Why? Is that accidental? No, it's not accidental. And then the, th the second thing I think about shepherds is I think, shepherds, I think, if you want the message to go out, which it does go out through the shepherds. They says they start telling everyone. They're amazed. They're astonished. They start telling all their friends and family. And everywhere they went, and they say, and it was exactly like they'd been told. They tell them about the vision. They tell them about going to see the baby. But if you want the message to get out, well, I mean, why not? Why not the religious elite? Why not the high priest of the day? Why not the religious rulers? Why don't you show up to them? They're the ones who get the religious message out, Right? But no, it goes to shepherds. Well, well, why shepherds? Why not like even the governor, Quirinius? Why not even Caesar himself? But what you see is that God says, and intentional, that you can tell it's intentional, he chose shepherds. You get the first announcement. You get the first announcement. He could have chosen different people. But God, this is what we see all the way through the scripture, all the way through history. And, the, and as you look at the biblical history, you see God choosing people uh, out of obscurity. You, you see not just God choosing the best and the greatest and the strongest, God choosing the least and the weakest. Think of even David, King David. They didn't even call him in. Samuel the prophet, that's the guy, right? Samuel the prophet who comes? Yeah, Samuel the prophet comes and he's, he goes, because God told him, go to this house and you're going to find the new king. And all, he has seven brothers. Is that how many brothers he has? A lot of brothers. Seven brothers. Is there seven altogether or seven brothers? Eight. Eight altogether. Great. So there's seven, eight brothers. 
ish, including David. Okay, you get where we're going. And what they, and what they say is, is they get all the, the boys to line up. And this is actually what happens. Many of you know the story. All, they only bring in the seven oldest boys for Samuel to kind of look at and pray for and discern which one's going to be the next king. They literally don't even invite David in. But this is what we see time and time again in the scriptures. We see that God chooses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. That's a verse from Corinthians. He chooses the, strong, the, 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 the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And what we see is, I love that. I was just, um, I got to, with my work, I get to travel quite a bit. Now, our headquarters are in London, so I was in London a week and a half ago. And I got to go to this youth event, and they were trying to tell a bunch of youth groups, hey, you can run Alpha for your friends. You can uh, have faith conversations with your friend. And one of the ways they wanted to do it was they wanted us to inter- me to interview a young man who had been doing Alpha for, with his friends at his school. So I met this young man named Ben. And Ben has cerebral palsy. So he's a teenage guy, he has cerebral palsy. And so it was Ben and Ben. And we were up there and, we were, and I started interviewing him. And he, was, he goes to a boarding school. And he was looking around at his boarding school, which I think he was saying was the boarding school that John Wesley went to, you know, however many hundreds of years ago. Uh, you know, this, this great man of faith. And then, so he's looking at his school and he knows about John Wesley. And he's kind of like, there's so much brokenness. There's so much hurt, and he's like, i got to do something. And so he ended up doing Alpha for his friends. He shares the story. And then before we finished sharing, I said, Ben, anything else? Not about Alpha. I said, just share what's on your heart for this you know, crowd of about 500 young people. And he says, and he has cerebral palsy, so he's got his crutch. And he says, he says, you don't have to be popular. He says, you don't have to be powerful. God wants to use you. And I, I get chills even right now when I'm remembering. I'm just standing next to this. It was one of those moments where you kind of sense, that's just powerful. This, and this is what God, our God loves to do. He chose shepherds instead of Caesar. So what does that represent about the heart of God? It's this God who says, come, come, everyone. This, when I think about shepherds, the third thing I think about is I think, you know what? I'm like, shepherds, uh, because of their job, they would actually probably be faced with... Um, faced with being ceremonially unclean, as the law would have said. Because they would have been, had to work with carcasses, dead animals, that actually makes you ceremonially unclean, and w- in which case you are excluded from worship. And so these, this is a group of men who, you know, they're kind of a lower class, a little bit, you know, you know, respected, but, you know, it's lower on the chain. They're not the most influential, and yet God chooses them, and they're people who may have been excluded from worship. Now, why is that important? Well, that's important because, again, this is the gospel. This is the good news, the, the announcement of who our God is and what he's like. And what is it? He's, he says, come, come. You come. Normal people come. People who are excluded, come. It wasn't that he was saying it doesn't matter. He, you know, clean, cleanliness and ceremonies of worship. He, was, he wasn't saying it doesn't matter. He was saying, I'm going to solve it. I'm here to solve it. I'm in the mess. And so we see God in the mess. He comes into the manger. And then the the picture I love is, I wonder, and I'm not sure, but I wonder if when they get to the city, if there was a guest room available, if they would have been like, whoa, easy shepherds. You're shepherds. You're dirty. You just came straight from the field. I don't want you in my my inn or my hotel or my my house right now. They might have been even turned away or at very least judged. You know what I mean? They kind of come to the house and it's like, ah, well, the shepherds. But no, the baby's in a manger. And the shepherds can just come right in. And that's the heart of God. The gospel says, you can come. You can come. You think you're excluded? You can come. Come as you are. Access granted to the king, to the savior. Oh, my goodness. It's like, it's so beautiful. 
And so what we see is that through the story of the shepherds is, oh yeah, God, he's inviting you. He's inviting me. And it says that, I, I, and then you see this story. It says they go away and they start telling everybody. I think of 30 plus years later, 35 years later, around the time when Jesus would have been uh, executed. I'm guessing word got back to Bethlehem in that area. And the shepherds would have heard. And they would have been tracking Joseph and Mary's son. That's the son of Joseph and Mary, right? And they would have been devastated when he found out he was crucified. And then days later, when they found out he was resurrected, when the message started spreading, that you know, people are seeing Jesus alive. I think of these shepherds being like, oh yeah, it's true. It's got to be true. Because they remember back to this moment they had. And then I think about their kids. I just, I don't know, this is where my imagination goes. I think about the, their kids. And my dad was a shepherd. No, my dad got the announcement. Telling their friends that grandpa, my grandpa was there. And there's this community of people that are so impacted because they had this encounter and they were invited in. And that's the, the gospel for us. And just as we kind of close today, just thinking about what does this tell us about God? Well, it tells us that uh, God, he welcomes the lowly. He came in the middle of the mess. In uh, Philippians uh, I want to read you Philippians. This is what I thought of when I was looking at this story. Philippi, really famous passage. Paul's writing to the church in Philippi, and he says, uh, he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. There's two lines in here that it reminded me of. Uh, it says, who being, verse 6 says, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. And then it says he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Who, it says, who being in very nature God, and then he says he didn't, it said the next part he says, it says he took the very nature of a servant. And I just want to end here, and I heard a message uh, from Daryl Johnson, professor at Regent and another uh, Bible school and professor of theology, pastor in Vancouver for many years. And he described this passage of scripture, and he said, this, he calls it a song in the New Testament. He says, uh, if he had to give a title to this song about Jesus, he'd say, oh, that's what it means to be God. Oh, that's what it means to be God, is the title he would choose for this. Him who being in very nature God, he didn't consider that something to be used to his own advantage. He took the very nature of a servant. So think about our God. He's considering, what, how do I best express myself to the world? How do I best show the world what I'm like? He took the very nature of a servant. Are you seeing this? This is our God. He didn't say, uh, there's so many options in my Im imagination of how God could have shown himself. But he said, it, being in very nature, God, oh, and it's like God decides, what's the best way to show what I'm like? It's to take on the very nature of the servant. Why? So what does that say? It's not God pretending to be a servant. It's God saying, this is part of my nature. 
My very nature is to serve and to love. Jesus, when he came, he said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And I'm not saying that, that God exists to be your servant. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying, oh yeah, for your business, for your family, anything you need, just he's your servant. No, no, no. But he's, he's saying, in very nature, this is a part of who he is. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to serve. He came in the middle of the mess. He lived in it with us. He gave his life on the cross. Jesus, when he's teaching his disciples how to love people, he says, there's no greater love than laying down your life. Lay, just laying down your life for one another, for your friends. And this is what he calls us to. And so when I, when I uh, for years, when I, uh, as a youth pastor, I would teach two things. I'd say, hey, two things about God you need to know. What, the, God's main goals for your life. His first goal is that you would know him. That you would know him. That you know you're his that you know who he is, he's a good, generous father, know parts of his character and who he is. And the second thing is, is that you become like him, right? That's what we know. God is shaping us to be more like him. And what we see in this, this encounter with, with Mary and Joseph and the shepherds is we see God in the middle of the mess. So as we end, I mean, let's just prayerfully consider and ask God to open our eyes to how he's at work in the middle of our mess, that the detours, God, that you would help us see those as, where are you working behind the scenes? That we wouldn't see you as a God who is far away, but we see you as a God who's in the middle of it. I found um, over the years, uh, life is hard, right? You, I feel like a lot of, most years of my life, I feel like are some of the hardest, I have some of the worst experiences in my life and some of the best. I feel like this is just kind of how we get to live, and I feel like, uh, and whether it's in ministry or friendship or family, yeah, you'll, you'll have friends who are doing and family who are doing so well and just thriving and just, just seeing so much joy in life. And then on the other hand, you have friends and family who are just something terrible is happening. And we're constantly emotionally like it's just a roller coaster. And, but in the middle of it, I find that the pain actually pushes us into Jesus, right? The pain actually is what I get to see more of what the comforter is like. I know he's the comforter, but when I'm feeling the pain, that's when I get to feel it the comforter, and you see him in a new, fresh way. Oh, here, you really are my comforter. You really are with me. I'd love to end uh, by praying together. And so, but why don't we stand together? And and I, I think what I'd love to do is just give a, a few moments for the Holy Spirit. We'll just wait on God and just ask God to speak to our minds and hearts. And so I'd love for us to just kind of stand and wait in silence. And if you want, you can just, you can just kind of pray in your heart to God. If you've never prayed to God before, you, you're invited like the shepherds. So Father, we wait on you. And Spirit, I ask that you would remind us and show us and open our eyes to where you've been working in our own lives. Thank you that your very nature is as a servant just bring that deeper into our own hearts that we can be, be like you. Yeah, so we wait on you.
Fill our hearts with your spirit. Pour your love into our hearts. Remind us of who you are. Remind us that you are at work in our lives, God. Thank you, God. Just before I uh, say a prayer and bless you, uh, one of the ideas that came to my mind was um, was the idea of hiding things, hiding uh, even sinful habits or behaviors or hiding uh, sense feelings of inadequacy. Sometimes I feel like I come to God like this, and then sometimes I go, oh, I'll just hide this real, real quick. Um, and I, I just want to encourage you, if you're hiding anything from the Lord, please don't. <laughs> bring it all. Bring it all to God. Whether it means then some lament, or whether it means you need to deal with some sinful stuff in your life. Uh, let me pray for us. God, thank you so much that you're in the middle of it. That you've never left me. You've never left us. You've never left us. Thank you for great grace that invites us to come. That you choose normal people and you so love us as your children. Thank you, God. God, help us to serve and be like you. Give us creativity and courage to serve. God, I pray for an anointing of courage for those of us who have sinful stuff going on in our lives that's been going on for a while. I pray you give us the courage and wisdom on how to bring that into the light and leave it behind. And God, I I bless everyone here, God. I bless them. God, that you would bless them and keep them. That you'd make your face shine on them. That you'd be gracious towards them and give them peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, church.